BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Let's get ready to rumble! Innovation jam-packed show today. Peloton of five percent. What's up, discipline investor? We got Benzinga CEO Jason Raznick here with us. The man, the myth, the legend, Tom Nash. Peter Schiff on the Power Hour with us live today. Interesting, different, unique, innovative companies. Mia, you are live with us on the Power Hour. What's up? Thank you so much for inviting me on. Jessica Billingley, that is the CEO of Aperna. The best trade idea resource out there. Oh, hello there. That's right. It's me, Spencer Israel, Luke Jacoby's better-looking twin. I know if you're used to watching this show, you're probably like, wait a minute, that's not Luke. Or maybe you thought, oh, wow, Luke's looking really good today. Both those things are sort of true. So I'm Spencer Israel. I am the host of, uh, one of the hosts of Pre-Market Prep and uh, 10,000 other things here at Benzinga. Doing a special edition of the Power Hour today. We are doing an OTC Markets special. We've got five interviews lined up executives from companies that trade on OTC markets. We're going to explain first what that even is, right? Why you should care. And then we'll get to our interviews. So we got a big slate of guests on today. Wow. I just everywhere. Uh, Bruce Linton is our first guest. He is on the board of red light Holland. He'll be on in like five minutes or so. Uh, ticker T R U F F. That'll be uh 12, 10. We've got Frank Holmes from hive blockchain. On at 12.30, we've got Jay Hutton from Visibility at 1 o'clock. Mark Pekin from uh, Bespoke Growth Partners, and they just completed a, a reverse merger. Uh, he'll be on at 1.20. And wrapping this up here will be Brian Goodman from Golden Matrix Group at 1.40. So, guys, if you haven't already, smash the like for OTC Markets. Smash the like for stocks that trade on OTC markets and smash the like for your executive interviews because we got a lot of them today. So before I bring Bruce on, just some real quick education about what, like what are OTC markets, right? What, what is it? People talk about NICE, talk about the NASDAQ. Those are exchanges. OTC markets is a little bit different. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen for a second and just do some very quick education. Uh, when we say OTC markets, what are we talking about? We're talking about securities that don't trade on an exchange in the US. So, so think about it like this. You're a public company and you want investors to get access to your shares. How do you do that? Well, you can go to an exchange, you can list on an exchange, or you can go to OTC markets. And the entire point of OTC markets, the underlying philosophy is that any company that uh, that wants should have their shares be available uh, for to publicly trade. 
Um, and so the barrier to trade on OTC markets is a lot lower from a company point of view uh, than it would be to get on an exchange, right? There's there's lower there's lower costs. You don't have to uh, meet as many regulatory requirements. Uh, and so it's basically a place for any company for that for one one reason or another does not want to be or can't be on ex, on an exchange. So uh, why would a company uh, want to do that? Why would a company like not want to be on one of the exchanges like Nasdaq or Nice uh, or whatever? Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, maybe they can't. Right? M maybe very simply, maybe they just don't meet the requirements of the exchange. That's why a lot of uh, stocks uh, get kicked off exchanges. Uh, number two, they just don't want to. So maybe you get a company that's based uh, in, in an, on another continent, in another country. They already list on their home exchange. And they, they're like, well, we don't want to go through all that you know hurdle of listing in the United States. We'll just you know throw our, our security, throw our shares on OTC markets. That way, US investors can trade us uh, but we're not like duplicating our, our efforts there. Uh, we, it's just not a priority for us. Uh, so you get a lot of international companies. You get a lot of early stage companies that, that literally just can't. Like they, they're, they're too early. They're, they're too young. Uh, they can't meet the requirements yet. So they trade uh, on OTC markets, uh, maybe as, as like a stepping stone. And you get companies that for, for legal reasons can't. Like, like cannabis, for example, is a great example. Um, cannabis is still illegal on the federal level in the U.S. And so any company that touches the plant in the U.S. is ineligible to trade on exchanges. Now, that's going to change eventually. But for now, any U.S. company that touches cannabis has to, if they want to trade publicly, they have to trade on OTC markets in the United States. Um, so what OTC markets has done is, is they've broken their market up into different tiers, uh, right? So I've got it up here. The, the QX tier is like they, their top tier. And essentially all it means is it's a way for the investor to know, okay, there's like some requirements for this tier versus not many requirements for this other tier, right? So, so QX is like their top tier. That's like their most stringent tier. Not every company is eligible to, to trade on the on QX, right? You have to meet certain requirements. You have to be up to date in your information. You have to be up to date in your disclosures. Um, and you, you, you can't be a, a shell company. Uh, th there are rules uh, for, for trading on the OTC QX market. Uh, same thing with the QB. There are a little bit fewer rules, but there still are some rules. It's just, it's less stringent than the QX market. Uh, and then below the QB, you have your pink market, which is where any company can trade. Uh, and, and there are some other markets below that, but that most investors don't have access to those anyway. Uh, the pink market is where companies that declare bankruptcy and get kicked off an exchange. That's where they go, right? So JC JCPenney is there. Hertz is there. Also, a lot of companies that are huge international conglomerates trade on the pink market, right? Nintendo trades on the pink market. Tencent trades on the pink market. Uh, Volkswagen trades on the pink. A lot of big international companies that, again, list on their home exchange and just don't really care enough to list on an exchange in the US. Um, so that's the breakdown. You got the QX, you got the QB, and you got uh, the pink. And then as far as uh, investing in these companies and training them, uh, the really the only thing you need to know, A, obviously, um, you got to do your own research here. Uh, there, obviously, there's there's no guarantee that any any security, any asset uh, is 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 going to go up or down, whether it's on an exchange or not. 
but there are there are like I said less regulations on the on OTC market. So you really got to do your DD, do your DD, do your research, uh, and make sure you know what you're buying. Uh, it can be a, a great place to buy to find undervalued undervalued companies, but it can also be a place where um, some fraud some fraud happens. So just really really be careful there. Also uh, on the commissions front, just know that a lot of brokers. Uh, don't they do charge commissions? They don't have free free trading for securities on OTC markets. So understand that as well. If you're um, trading o, uh, OTC companies, know that you might have to pay commission, and you you can't trade after hours and pre market. There is no after hours and pre market session for 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 the OTC market. So just know that going in. Um, okay, I think that was the basic education. And I'll, I'll get to more of it, like as as the show goes on here, because there's, there's a lot more to, uh, uh, to discuss, uh, on, on the OTC markets front. And I have like a, I have like an, okay, I, have a, I think I have a pretty good understanding of it. So if any questions from chat, drop them in there and I will, I will try to, uh, um, I'll try to answer them, but it is time for our first guest. So producer AB, let's bring him on if we can. Bruce Linton is on the board of Red Light Holland Corp ticker TRUFF trades on the uh, pink market. Bruce, thanks for joining us today. Nice intro, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, I'm not in my usual like setup. I'm I'm feel like a stranger in a strange land because this I'm not usually at this desk and under these hot lights. Uh, so I'm feeling, you know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying really hard because I'm, I'm in like a stranger's setup. But I appreciate that comment, uh, Bruce. Um, let's talk about the space that Red Light is in, right? Yeah. Psychedelics. Psychedelics. Um, you know, I just gave through a brief overview of the OTC yeah. markets, and and I didn't even mention the fact that companies can can uplist right from the yeah. OTC markets to an exchange. We just saw that happen this week with with one of your peers, company in this or competitor company in this space, uh, MindMed. So maybe you can give us a high level overview first of what is happening in the psychedelic space right now, and and and, and guess why you're involved. Sure. Um, so I wrote two things down. Plus I'll hit that. Um, so with red light, we're trading on the uh, pink, right? Because I'm not sure they're ready to welcome us for an upgrade. They might be. So we think that we should be. Um, now, part of what I would argue that um, what we currently do is federally permissible. Everywhere where we operate is not in conflict with the U.S. law because we do not operate in the U.S. We have a licensing agreement. So maybe a company like uh, Trip or Truff could actually say, I want to take the path of MindMed. That might be constraining for Trip, though, because there's such a good market opening up in the U.S. And maybe um, we'd want to play directly in it. And you don't want to get unlisted from, say, a NASDAQ because you, you want to step into a new business. So in right. the case of MindMed, um, what they had to do, and in, the rules are fairly similar. If you, if you start trading on a Canadian exchange and then you want to cross list to U.S. big board, call it NASDAQ, you have to trade for uh, one year plus a day. You have to have a share price north of two bucks. And you have to have more than 50.1% of the ownership, which is non-US resident, it doesn't have to be Canadian. And if you have that, you have this exemption to cross list called the foreign uh, direct listing exemption, which means the exchanges are sisters. And if you meet the rules on the Canadian one, then you meet the rules on the US one. And that gives you a rapid route to listing. So MindMed used that. 
And the benefit of that for the case of MindNet is that you can continue to use a number of the uh, fundraising tools that exist in Canada, and you haven't had to file all of the S documents to get listed as you would if you went on direct. In the case of um, Truffle or Trip, whichever one you want to go with for uh, you know uh, Red Light, that one um, has been enterprising. So a number of companies I've been involved with, someone puts up our ticker for us on the pink. So those big companies you described, I'll bet you not one of them went to the effort of actually saying, what's our pink sheet listing? Some enterprising individual who wanted to trade the stock, put this through and acted almost like a market maker. And the next thing yep. you know, you have a, a trading platform. I didn't and mention so, that ba banks can do that too, right? That's what you just right. exactly what you said. Banks can say, hey, our clients want to trade this. We're going to go ahead and make a security for them. Yeah. And essentially it becomes a parallel universe that um, is the same underlying asset. And so that's kind of where we are right now as, uh, as Red Light, but it works. And the reason it works, in my opinion, is if you and I were doing this show about when you started at Benzinga, so call it five, almost six years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Was that kind of when you kicked it up? The, mm -hmm. the cannabis stuff was just starting. So if you talk pink sheets, then you were mainly talking like for sure bankrupt, criminal, terrible companies that were probably lying to you. And then cannabis came along and needed a real mainframe platform to couple for U.S. trades with the Canadian Securities Exchange. And so the prominence and comfort of trading things that are OTC has accelerated. And so that's why when you get into the psychedelic space, it's a well-blazed path for us to come in and follow that pattern. Now, why do I like this space? Um, it's newish, but it's not new, meaning that what we're using as the baseline molecules and the opportunities to present them to humans is not a new thing, but to actually form companies that are publicly listed is a new thing. And so I think the opportunity for a player like um, you know, Red Light is to become a brand that is trusted in a whole bunch of geographies for products that people might want anyhow, maybe buying anyhow, and that we migrate them to a legal platform that says it's okay to be an adult and have fun. And uh, I think that platform has really great opportunities to grow. The key thing is we have to constantly navigate kind of what the show's about, just to the line of what you can do. So it may not yet be legal in some places, but it won't yet have become illegal. Is a right. big discussion for a player like us, because as long as it's permissible, it's possible. And so that's probably a good place for an OTC type company to be listed because you're navigating around these pylons, but it's also a great way to create value without getting in a regulatory spat with FINRA or SEC. It, it, it's a great point. A, a lot of companies, you know, as Red Light is, is, is use the OTC markets as Red Light's using them right now. It's sort of like a, a go-between, an, an intermediary step, if you will, right? Uh, yeah. Without having to deal with all the regulation that comes with being on an exchange, but at the same time, allowing their shares to be publicly traded. Uh, they can raise money that way. And they can let uh, give investors access. So, uh, Bruce, I have to ask you. You're, of course, a veteran of of, of the cannabis mar uh, cannabis industry. Do you see, or what kind of parallels do you see between between these two spaces, between between um, psychedelics and and cannabis? Well, bias and terrible regulation, right, okay. are the first two things. I so, guess I should have um, expected that. <laughs> right, right, but like. Um, both both were deemed at certain points in their initiation to be uninvestable sectors in which no business could be built. And so there was this bias that the, the illicit market will always dominate. I think we're seeing that the illicit market is probably the best showcase market to tell us what people want. And then what you have to do is figure out how do I deliver that in a legally compliant way? Um, so, so that bias exists, the, the stupid rules. 
the opportunity is to migrate and navigate around the rules. Like, look at how many state-by-state operates. You call them multi-state operator in cannabis, but nobody actually carries any cannabis from state to state. <laughs> it's true. Um, so there, there are ways by which you can create a structure. So Todd and I talk, I think I've texted and talked with him three times today. The last thing I want to talk to him about is we can't do that great opportunity because we went to a big board U.S. exchange and therefore we have to wait for all the big booze and pharma companies to be in the play. Our opportunity, as it was in early stage cannabis, is to be nimble, specific, find ways to comply with the rules and still get there before everyone else. And so OTC is that. And if you pick the right stocks in the OTC, you're going to pick aggressive stocks that actually have a growth pattern that might not be achievable if they're on some big board with a a long sheet of rules. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So it's a great point. and, and, And then it comes down the road. Many companies, as I said, choose to uplist, and that there's just more value uh, added from that, as we saw with uh, with uh, MindMed. Um, I, I'm just curious, like, what are there specific growth trends that you're eyeing right now? I'm looking, I'm, I'm talking like one year, two years out in the psychedelic wow. space. Uh, you know, cannabis has the eventual legalization to look forward to. What does psychedelics have to look forward to? Well, it depends on the type of company. So let's first we'll hit um, trip trough. Um, when it trades OTC, it means it essentially trades without institutional buyers. Mm-hmm. And what it means over time is that if, if the framework in which what we're doing becomes more adopted broadly around the globe, institutional players will enter. So this is a retail, almost only early stage play. And the reason that I think it can be, um, have a longer opportunity is that people already buy these products. They want microdosing. They want it to be truly micro. So in the case of red light, we have the chance to actually be the trusted brand that brings you what you want consistent every time so you can go ahead and have a better life, have a little more fun and not destroy it. In the case of MindMed, well, what we're looking at there is how do we take these existing molecules and actually work with them so that they're the inspiration but not the simplistic delivery? What I mean by that is, you know, some of them might have a, and a way that they may assist you in getting off of a, an addiction, but the side effect of that treatment might be cardiac arrest and a horrible trip. So what you want to do is take the base molecule and say, how do we evolve this so we don't actually potentially cause cardiac arrest, but we still help you get off of, say, an opioid addiction. And so I think there's the long tail ones, which take the inspiration from the existing molecules. And there's the current ones that can actually make real revenue right now. And like, you know, places that you wouldn't think that have rules that would welcome a, a company like Red Light. Well, Brazil, right? We can actually have, now we have to turn it into a real and big market. Um, we got stuff going on with, you know, Jamaica. We got things going, obviously, in Europe. And so there's opportunities that um, I think will just become more numerous. Look at you. We all have people walking around. I love I love COVID because, like, I got somebody coming into my office. You got somebody jumping in front you of you. You don't even know, man. You don't even know. Yeah. What you guys had in your little note, you said um, attire is business casual. I'm like, does that actually mean just put clothes on? Like, I have no clue what that terminology even means <laughs> now. Business casual is changing. It, it, it means it means you got to wear pants is what that means. Yeah. You got you to so, have pants on. Yeah. So um, I, I would say the two splits in psychedelics are, are long-term, medium and long-term, super big winners if they're successful in the evolution of the molecules and immediate-term revenue companies that will be bigger deals as the rules change. And the question is, how fast will they change? And that's been a cannabis question. All right. That segues into my last question, which is also a question from the chat, which is, do you see cannabis legalization happening on the federal level this year? Or if not, when? Um, it, so um, 
if I were in the U.S. and running it, I would focus on all the short-term things right now. And I would say, if you reelect me for a second term, I promise to do the cannabis thing. Because I think what they need to do is keep some powder to make people vote. And I know everybody doesn't want to hear that, but politics, the day they get elected, their job immediately is to get reelected. So there's no politician who has a long-term plan. They have a short-term plan that repeats. And so I, I'm always worried about the short-term plan. If you give all the goodies out in the first term, do you get the second term? Um, well, all that is messing around. I think we're going to start hearing a lot more stuff in other parts of the world. You know, we start hearing about Mexico and we start hearing, you know, what's happening in Europe. I, I just think um, the ocean might start to boil while that conversation is going on. And the business of politics, um, we also have to be a bit careful what we wish for. Like if we wish for a federally regulated legal medical program, we've just said we would like our boss to be the FDA potentially. And there's not a lot of people jumping up and down to say, I want that. So um, I'm, I'm probably one of the more, I think it's going to be state by state. They're going to be huge. I think it's going to get better and better, but that might not be a federal national uniform program. It could be something like, um, I'll call it states' rights structures. So maybe the companies will be able to access NASDAQ. Okay. That kind of hybrid weird thing versus a simple straight up. And uh, then Biden or whoever's going to run for the second term says, if you guys can get out of bed and everybody come vote for me again, I will promise you as adults, you can buy cannabis. It worked in Canada like a dam. The guy got elected. He had good hair and one promise. Um, yeah. People will go to the polls if they think they're actually going to get legal access to cannabis. Yeah, it's uh, something we're all waiting for, unfortunately. And uh, we're going to have to keep waiting until we don't have to wait anymore. But until then, um, you know, states issue, uh, any plant touching company, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, will be, uh, for the moment, um, you know, uh, trading on OTC markets. And, if, of course, if you don't touch the plant, then that's a different case entirely. If you're Canadian, different case entirely. But uh, if you're in the U.S. and you touch the plant, then uh, OTC markets, uh, is, is it for you? Uh, Bruce right, just, just to give you a quick yeah. shot, they're building phenomenal business. Like, it's not yeah. like they're at the end of the runway saying, where can I go from here? I would say we got another two or three years of building phenomenal businesses that when federal legalization occurs, there will be a single choice for all big players by people. So the more track we lay down, the more we work right now as cannabis companies, the more entrenched they will be and the more certain of value. So I don't think this is a pause. It's a be productive time. Yeah. And it's, as you said, it's, it's an early stage. We're still in, if you can believe it, we're still in early days. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's a great point. Totally agree. Totally agree. Bruce Linton is a, a veteran of uh, cannabis psychedelic space. He's on the board of uh, red light Holland Corp, which is on the screen ticker T U T R U F F Bruce. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate the time. Enjoy the day in your new office. All right. Yeah, uh, so Bruce, Bruce teased something there that, that I want to go in on a little bit for a second. Um, and, and, and that is that this idea of, of uh, value creation, right? When we talk about um, companies that, that trade on OTC markets and then, and then trade on uh, and go to exchanges, right? So what I'm going to do is pull up my Benzinga Pro screen so you can see. So I've brought up, so this is my med. This is, this is a psychedelics company. You all guys, you guys all know this one, right? I'm sure you do. And they, they uplisted, they uplisted to the NASDAQ. You can see exactly on the chart when they announced it here. Wait, this is a, no, this is a two day chart. Let's back, let's back it up. That's better. 
This is a year-to-date chart, okay? You can see exactly on the chart when they announced the uplist, right? That gap right there. And you can see the day of the uplist, which in this case happens to have been this day. Um, I mentioned this on, on pre-market prep. I was watching this like a hawk because there aren't that many examples or precedents of cannabis or cannabis-related companies uplisting to an exchange in the U.S. Most most cannabis companies are still on OTC markets, to be frank. Um, you know, there are, there's the, the Tilray's and the Canopy Gross and the Kronos, and those are all in Canada. I'm talking to U.S. companies, right? So here we have a U.S. company that traded on the OTCQX that uplisted to an exchange, and you can see just the, the, the pop there. Why? Because Bruce said it, right? A lot of investors, institutions, cannot invest in OTC securities. They can't. That's not to say they all can't. Some of them can. A lot of them do. Hedge funds do all the time. But a lot of institutions, a lot of big asset managers um, are, are, are restricted from buying, from, from basically trading uh, any security that trades on, on OTC markets. So when you go to an exchange, it sort of opens the doors for all that new money to come pouring in, right? And so that's why stocks will go up on news of an uplisting is because it, it the, the, the doors have been opened. There's more capital that can now come in and theoretically that, that creates value and that can drive up the price, right? There are people I'm sure now that want to buy cannabis stocks or that want to own GBTC, but can't, right? Because they, they, they don't trade on an exchange. Uh, so you, you gotta think about who the other people in, uh, in the, in the market are, uh, on that note. And, and before we bring on our next guest, I just want to outline, uh, briefly for, for a moment here. Um, here, I just brought up a list of, these are the most actively traded, um, securities right for, for today. So you can see, uh, ETHE, right. Ethereum trust from grayscale. You can see GBTC, TCEHY that's 10 cent, right? Obviously, uh, another, uh, crypto play RHHBY is Roche. That's interesting right there. That HTZ, HTZ GQ, that hurts. Very interesting. If you haven't looked at this chart, I recommend you do. Um, so th- these are just your most active um, your most active uh, securities on OTC markets today. But I want to talk about briefly about the, the structure of OTC markets. So I mentioned the tiers, right? You got the QX, you got the QB, you got the pink. But maybe you're wondering, like, what is, so what is the difference? Other than, like, the, the different rules and, and the different regulations, what, it, what actually is the difference? between OTC markets and an exchange. And very simply, exchanges are matchmakers, right? If you if you place an order, your order gets routed realistically to a HFT or, you know, market maker like Citadel, uh, who then <laughs> uh, jumps you in the queue, routes your order to an exchange. Event, the point is eventually your order will get to an exchange where a buyer is matched with the seller, okay? OTC markets, there is no central exchange. It's broker dealer to broker dealer. You place an order through your broker, they connect with other brokers directly and they fill your order that way. So it's just a different way to fill your order or to route your order uh, uh, rather than in exchange. So what that means is spreads can be a little wider. You got to know that going in. Spreads can be a little wider. There may not be uh, as much liquidity. Uh, There may be a lot less volume, right? Just because broker dealers have to connect directly to broker dealers. They do that through OTC markets, but there's no like central locations, central locations that's matching all the buyers and sellers uh, of uh, of all the orders for a given security. So just understand that the structure of OTC markets is different than 
than an exchange in that way. There's no one location. Um, okay, so I mentioned uh, the most active. I mentioned the structure. There was a couple other things. I'm trying to keep an eye on the chat to, to see uh, if there's any questions there. Um, and oh yeah, I, I talked about cannabis a lot, but uh, crypto is another great example, right? The, the GBTC, which is like one of the most traded securities out there, can trade on an exchange. Now it will trade on an exchange. Then they've Grayscale has said they will convert GBTC to an ETF um, when they can, when the regulation allows them to. And at that point, again, it will uplist to an exchange. But until that happens, you want to own GBTC, which was, I believe, the first crypto security in the U.S. Other than, of course, you know, crypto itself. Y you want to own that? You got to go OTC markets, right? Same with the like ETHE. Right. And it, Grayscale has like, what, how many, a half dozen of these things now? Um, and they're all pretty liquid. They're all pretty active. And they all, the, the law is preventing them from trading on an exchange. So uh, a, lot, a lot of times the, the, regulated, the regulation just hasn't caught up and, and companies that still want to have a market, a secondary market for their shares only have one option in the U.S. at least. And that's, um, you know, on, on, on OTC markets. So, okay, let's see if our next guest is here. I see he's in the studio, but he's not, he's, he's, his camera's not on. Our next guest is going to be Frank Holmes, guys. He's the CEO of Hive Blockchain. Um, and uh, I want to ask Frank, I've talked to Frank a number of times through the years, and I want to ask him uh, what's going on in, in that space because Hive is, is a mover. This thing can, can have some serious volume. Um, and, and I got some questions for Frank for whenever we can get producer AB uh see if we can get frank's camera on uh if we can and then i'll bring him on after that uh any questions from chat in the meantime uh oh man nathan that's such a specific question what are the odds of uh h-i-t-i-f getting uplisted man if i knew that i wouldn't need to be here right now <laughs> um real fast what is it i i gotta i gotta look it up uh high tide Man, dude, I, I I don't know. That's the thing, Nathan. I, I really I really don't know. Um, it, it looks like if, if it's a if it's a cannabis play, and they touch the and they touch the plant directly, they're they're gonna have to wait till uh till we get some federal legalization. Um, but but as as Bruce alluded to, right? A lot of times this market really is whether whether it's QX, whether it's QB, uh, or even like whether it's pink, it really is like a like a testing ground. Uh, and you can, you can essentially get in before institutions. People talk about sticking it to, to the hedge funds and the man. A lot of them can't trade this stuff. This is a way for you to sort of beat them, uh, in a way. Yeah, Charlie, I wish I could predict it. Um, I'm sorry. And, and I should mention, by the way, that I do own, uh, a number of OTC traded securities. And I've mentioned this a, a bunch of times on, I own the four largest multi-state operators in the U.S., right? That's Cresco, CureLeave, TrueLeave, and Green Thumb. They all trade on the OTCQX. They're all pretty liquid. They all will eventually uplist to an exchange whenever, whenever. I don't know. But until then, you can still trade them. I can still trade them. Uh, I, I'm long for an investment. I'm not trading them. I, I'm buying whole. And if anything, I'm, I'm, I'm buying more. Um, but... So, so yeah, I, I would say don't be afraid 
just because you don't see a stock on an exchange, don't be afraid to, to look into it. Um, it that, that's not necessarily like, like a barometer of whether a company is good or bad. If they trade, I, I mentioned there's a lot of very large companies that trade on the on OTC markets, right? Nintendo. Nintendo's not going under anytime soon, right? Tencent. It's like the largest company in China, in, in Asia, one of Tencent, right? Huge conglomerate. Trades on pink market, right? There's just, there's just a lot of big companies. Um, and you, you got to just look into it, but don't be afraid. That That's really my, my lesson here. Okay. Uh, I'm seeing Frank Holmes. So let, let's bring him on right now if we can. All right, here he is, Frank Holmes, CEO of Hive Blockchain, ticker H-I-V-E on the OTCQX market. Frank, how are we doing today? It's great to be with you. Outstanding. Outstanding. I haven't seen this room from you. You're yeah, somewhere. This, this is my uh, workshop here. This is where I'm busy uh, working away. My latest right. has been when I flew a MiG. Uh, I was reminded of that, so I brought the MiG out uh, a couple years ago. And we okay. created a company called Gold Corp, which was then bought out by Newmont. So maybe you can explain how you got involved here, because you're also the CEO of, 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 of U.S. Global uh, Investors. And uh, as I understand, you, you, were, you, you started off trying to create like a, a Bitcoin or a blockchain ETF, right? And then Correct. A Bitcoin ETF and recognized early at $1,000 an hour legal bills, it was not going anywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, because the SEC, and rightfully so, was, was quite concerned uh, on anti-money laundering laws. And uh, what's, But when, you, when it comes to Bitcoin, uh, you, you know where it's been. You just don't know the two parties it's been with. Yeah. So now better software can track that. But back four years ago, it was a great concern that something would show up from a hacker in the New York Stock Exchange. And the same thing in Canada. So I had all this knowledge going nowhere. And friends said to me from in Vancouver, said some young guys got this idea uh, on crypto mining. I don't think it'll work, but I did. And so I put up my money rather than trying to launch a product. I put it into the creation of Hive and immediately other institutions followed suit, <clears throat> went public. It was the first crypto mining company. And we started with buying our first acquisition was in Iceland, mining Ethereum. Uh, and then we expanded the Ethereum footprint in Sweden and then we went into Bitcoin mining. Uh, but we are the only crypto mining company today. We we're A, the first crypto mining company to go public. We only use green energy and we are the only ones mining Ethereum. That, so ex explain then, uh, so they're, they're mining, like that's the business, right? It's just straight, you're, you guys are miners. So I look at it as being like central bankers without any political, uh, uh, issues because we just validate transactions and every time we validate a transaction we get new coins and those coins are virgin coins uh, what happened this time last year was the supply of Bitcoin had uh, what's fascinating about the history and the genesis of what Satoshi created when he first launched Bitcoin was to induce you and seduce you with paying you 50 Bitcoins for every time you validated this transaction and you need powerful software and cheap electricity uh, and, and cool weather. So what we found is that when every four years, Bitcoin went from 50 
to giving you only 25 as more users came in and more believers. And it went from 25 to 12. From 12, now it's down to 6.25. In four more years, now three years, it'll have again. Uh, and so what's happened is that the supply is shrinking uh, every 10 minutes when they when you have the opportunity to get a new coin, uh, they're shrinking. So therefore, as more people believe and use Bitcoin, Metcalf's law says it grows exponentially. And that's what we're seeing. Ethereum is a smart contract. It's really the internet of everything in blockchain. I think your position, your work is very interesting because you're one of the few people that I can think of that is, you know, has a lot of skin in the game for, for crypto, for Bitcoin, and also for, for gold, right? Like you're, you're simultaneously bullish both. Can you explain that? Well, I believe they're inclusive. Uh, gold has been around for 5,000 years, uh, which makes it quite significant. The biggest demand for gold is love. Uh, if you look in Asia in particular, uh, gifts and et cetera are done with gold. And it's highly correlated to rising GDP per capita. Uh, as the China's GDP per capita surpassed India, all of a sudden it became the largest gold importer. 40% of the movement in gold is really portfolio management, central banks using as a hedge uh, against other currencies devaluing. Uh, that's one reason why the U.S. dollar is so strong. It has the largest gold holdings at Fort Knox. But always what shocks me is the data point that Indian women in India wear six times, wear six times the amount of gold in Fort Knox. Uh, it's protected them from all bad political issues and and currency devaluation. So you wear your money. When it comes to Bitcoin, you can't really do that. And you need electricity for it to function. So I don't think gold's going out of, out of mainstream, uh, but I do think that Bitcoin is an important part of the new evolution because of the backbone of blockchain technology that is going to grow and prosper and that people should always have a 10% waiting in gold and rebalance and have a 2% in crypto-related asset classes. Can you explain why why Hive uh, why Hive uh, trades on on the QX market? Well, in that process of first going public in Canada, we saw a billion dollars of U.S. money come into the Canada with new companies like uh, um, Novakratz launched his company Galaxy in Canada because it was more fluid and it was more accepting of Bitcoin and the ecosystem of blockchain. Uh, now it's proliferating and it's growing. At a, at a phenomenal level in America, it just dominates it in, in every so way. So we are listed on the pink sheets. And last year, we we're the fourth most liquid company on the pink sheets. Uh, we traded more than Grayscale uh, Bitcoin Trust, which was the first way you could actually buy a security related to Bitcoin was Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust. Uh, we trade uh, 1.7 billion shares in Canada last year and almost 500 million shares here in the U.S., but our, we've been public about this, that we will go through this process of listing uh, in the U.S. Uh, the documents should be filing this month, uh, this week, I hope, uh, so that we've registered with the SEC. And we hope that the NASDAQ will look favorably and let us come on their exchange as we upgrade Hive. Interesting. So we can expect to see those uh, filings this week, you said? Uh, from your lips to God's ears, just pushing those lawyers. <laughs> 
Fair, certainly fair. We're on with Frank Holmes, who's the CEO of, of Hive Blockchain. Um, Frank, is there anything else that you think people should know about yeah, you Hive know, you or, know. or Bitcoin miners in general or crypto miners in general? I, I think that you have to know the DNA, two things, the DNA of volatility. The DNA of volatility for gold is on a daily basis is 1%. The stock market is 2% and uh, Tesla is 5%. And Ethereum is 6%. Bitcoin is the same as Tesla. So before you go into disruptive new industries like Tesla in the car industry or blockchain, crypto mining, then you have to really respect this DNA of volatility. Two, uh, we're the first to really have a strong ESG footprint. Uh, we believe only in green energy. And we're the only ones mining both Ethereum and Bitcoin. And that mining of Ethereum uh, last year allowed us to be the most profitable crypto mining company uh, in the space of all our, of our peers. So I think that going forward, uh, we'll maintain that. We're expected to grow about 300% this year. We've purchased a lot of uh, ASIC chips to expand our footprint by more than what they call two exahash, 10 to the power of 18. Uh, and so that will give us a today's current, if you look at Bitcoin and Ethereum prices today, that would give us a run rate of pushing around 300 million and making 200 million. That's just based on performance. Uh, for, forgive my ignorance, but wait, what what exactly determines profit? How profitable a, a miner is? I mean, what makes one miner more profitable than another miner? Uh, it's you know, it's a great question because the different coins offer different. Uh, so at times we've mined Ethereum Classic because we get a bigger profit margin. So we'll take our 20 megawatts in Sweden and dedicate four megawatts towards mining uh, Ethereum Classic, uh, and then we'll stop that. So you, you can see there's a, the, the, what really impacts it is called the, the difficulty of hashing. So what happens is more people want to mine Bitcoin. That means it's fixed at 6.25 coins every 10 minutes. So if more people got expensive mining equipment to mine, that means there's less for me to share in. So that's called the hash rate difficulty. Uh, and one of the big parts is that uh, we had a, a big footprint in Ethereum. There weren't really any public companies on an institutional level mining like us. So that gave us a big profit margin. Like last year when we were mining, uh, we were having 90% gross margins in mining Ethereum. Now, with more people coming in to compete to mine Ethereum, our, our profit margin shrunk to about 70%. Um, so that's what the real issue is, is how fast can you get new technology embedded out there, mining a coin will impact his profit margins. Uh, Frank, what are the odds that we get a Bitcoin ETF this year in the US? The, the easiest thing for me whenever I've asked this for a world of gold is look at the DNA of volatility. It is a non-event for gold to go up 20% or fall 20% over a rolling 12-month period. Mm -hmm. So this time last year, it ran to plus 40% and then it's corrected. That's just normal DNA. When it comes to crypto, it's plus or minus 100%. So you can see Ethereum at $5,000. It would not be, you know, a game. oh, that's unbelievable. And Bitcoin trading at 100,000 uh, because that's just normal DNA of volatility. What's important for readers, and you go to Hive's website, we have a thing that explains Metcalf's law. And Metcalf's law is very important to understand why these prices are going up because Bitcoin is capped at 21 million coins. And as more and more people believe, and, and they can buy fractals of Bitcoin through their PayPal account, that means they don't have to spend $57,000 buying one coin, they can buy $500 worth. 
And they, you can buy on PayPal Bitcoin, but you can't buy stocks. So what it happens is it attracts more people interested in buying there, and then they can sell it to turn around and make a profit and uh, potentially make a profit and buy a new TV through Amazon. So you're seeing a phenomenon take place that you're getting more people coming into the space, but supply is capped. Every 10 minutes, only 6.25 new coins. In a couple of years, it's capped at 21 million. So that means that more people believe Metcalf, uh, Metcalf's law says it grows exponentially. All right, Frank, I can't let you go without also asking about the airlines. I mentioned you're also the CEO of U.S. Global Investors, which is the issuer of the Jets ETF. Airlines have been, uh, you know, on this reopening trade, they've been on a run and they're, uh, they're well, well, well off the lows. They've come a long way from last year. How much of the reopening is already priced into these airlines? Stephen, what's really remarkable to me, first of all, is this time last year, I had to defend why Robinhood investors, and it used to be a public. <laughs> no, this is a great point. This is a great it. point you're making. And in an ecosystem, <laughs> you have to have minnows before the tunas and, and, and the whales and everyone else comes in. You need a complete ecosystem. The market was lacking price discovery. So the minnows came in and they weren't stupid. 25,000 of our data shows bought jets around $12. And 12 and it went to 28. Now, the rationale was that every time there's a crisis and the airlines fall 70%, a year later, they're up 80 to 120%. So, those new buyers coming in were pretty clever. And when I hear Buffett talk negative about them, et cetera, he got out of the airlines. And that was basically the, cathar that was the, the catharsis of that was the bottom and away it took off. So I, I think that the Robinhood investors are a very important part of the ecosystem for price discovery. Uh, and two is I think that uh, we have lots of opportunity because Europe is yet to open up. Latin America is still struggling to open up and Canada is still struggling. And Canada is just a basket case in politicians going northbound when they should be going southbound and east when they should be going west. I mean, it's just a bizarre watching their, what they've done but they're gonna open up this summer and vaccines are going to grow. So as you see the world's economy, more and more people being vaccinated, you can witness the pent up demand for people to want to travel. Uh, the US is the leader in this. Uh, and that's one reason why we're seeing more tourism and travel. And for active people trading this market, et cetera, you can go to TSA every day they publish how many people they clear uh, it went from 2.7 million down to 90,000 in April of 2020, and now it's over a million five. So we've seen the tourists have a big rebound because Americans as a whole travel about 2 million people a day get cleared. 700,000 are inbound from Asia, Europe, and South America. So we're seeing out of that 2 million, we're up about 75%. The business travel is, is going to wait till you get at least 70% of people vaccinated. And then I think the bigger profit margins will come in then. That'll be coming in the fall. But right now, Europe is going to open up. They're going to come up with a passport. And if you've been vaccinated, you can get ease of travel. So I remain, I think that Jess has another leg on the upside. It's a great point you bring up. It's it's a bit of a catch-22. You're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, a year ago, uh, yeah, maybe I was one of the people that was asking you, Frank, to defend why anybody would buy 
uh, any airline stock, your ETF, which of course owns all of them. Uh, and now here we are a year later, they've all rallied and I'm asking you the exact same question. Why are people buying airlines stocks? So uh, you're dandy if you do, dandy if you don't. You can't make anyone, everyone happy all the time. Uh, but it, it's a very interesting catch 22. And everyone who's bought airline stocks in the last year has made, um, and held at least, uh, has made a good decision. So it's worked out for him. Um, Frank Holmes is the CEO of Hive Blockchain, also uh, U.S. Global Investors, where he runs the Jets ETF. Frank, always a pleasure. Thanks a lot, sir. Thank you for the opportunity for sharing our story. All right. Uh, it is 12.50. We've got about 10 minutes or so until I bring on my next guest, who is Jay Hutton. He's the CEO of Visibility Group. Uh, they, the ticker is VZBGF. Uh, and in the meantime, guys, if you, if you like this stuff, if you like specials, smash the like for specials. You know, we're trying some new things. We're experimenting. And we're going to see what happens, right? Uh, we'll probably do another one of these again uh, later on in the year. Uh, but we get a lot of questions about lower-priced um, stocks, about uh, OTC markets uh, companies. And we thought, well, what the hell? Why just not bring a bunch of them on at once and, and do it that way? So that's what we're doing here. So smash the like if you like coverage of, of this stuff because th this does not, let's be clear, this does not get mainstream coverage, right? Uh, and I hate to be like, you know, that guy crapping all over, you know, other media outlets, but this, this area of the market is is rather large. There's 11,000, more than 11,000 securities that trade on OTC markets, and they do not get a lot of coverage. Maybe they do in like the cannabis industry um, or crypto, but outside of that, this is an area that most people don't pay attention to, and and maybe they should, is, is our point here. Uh, there's just as great an opportunity to make money here as there is to make money on NASDAQ stocks and NYSE stocks. Uh, so let's do this. We've got a few minutes, uh, and I want to do something. Every single month, Benzinga writes an article about the most actively traded securities on or, or companies on OTC markets, right? We, we do this every month. Uh, I happen to have gotten a sneak, pre, sneak peek of that article. And it's not, to my knowledge, it hasn't gotten live yet, but it is in draft form. And I'm going to spoil it a little bit for you right now if I can. Uh, so th this is data that we get from OTC markets. And I think it's important because, again, a lot of people uh, think OTC markets. They think, oh, um, super illiquid place, no volume, impossible to trade. That can be true, but it also cannot be true, right? It depends what we're talking about. It's such a diverse place. And there, there are a number of places on or a number of, um, of uh, securities companies that trade on OTC, OTC markets that are pretty liquid. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the list here and I'm, I'm going to just stick with the, the OTC QX, which as I said at the top is like the top tier of the OTC market. There are some restrictions. Uh, there are some rules and regulations to being on the QX market. Uh, and I'm going to run through the top 10 of the most active um, securities on the QX market for the month of April. This data is like two days old, right? Uh, we just got those data uh, this week. Obviously, it's the first of the month. All right, let's start with GBTC, which I'm gonna share my uh, my per screen here so you can see what I'm seeing. Um, GBTC was the most actively traded um, security on the OTCQX market for the month of April. 
this is this is not new. This has been the case pretty much for most of the last year, give or take. And prior to that, it was consistently in the top two or three. But in terms of dollar volume, GBTC had more dollar volume uh, than any other asset on OTCQX in April. Um, by 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 a lot, to be frank. I mean, more than double what the next uh, highest asset was. Speaking of next highest asset, that was also crypto. It wasn't GBTC, but it was ETHE, right? The Grayscale Ethereum Trust. These two one, have been like the one-two punch, the one-two most active securities on this market for basically since since COVID, um, to, to be frank. It wasn't always this way. The, the, the company that was historically the most active traded uh, company is actually number three for, for April, which is Roche. And if you remember, I brought up the screen earlier of the uh, most traded securities for today. You can see ETHE, GBTC, Roche is on there as well. Uh, so Roche was the third most active traded uh, company on OTCQX during April. Number four was, oh man, it's, it's all crypto, guys. It's all crypto. Big digital, right? BBKCF. And again, why am I doing this? Just to show you where the volume is, where the liquidity is in these assets, right? So big digital uh, was the fourth most active traded security on uh, the OTCQX last month. And now we're getting into some of the, the non-crypto stuff, right? The three of the top four were all crypto. Moving on to some cannabis names. True Leave, which I mentioned, I'm long. Well, that was the fifth most actively traded security uh, on the OTCQX market in the month of April, uh, followed by, I guess the, there's there's more crypto, my bad. Uh, Grayscale uh, Ethereum uh, Classic Trust, which is ETCG. ETCG, that was the, uh, that came in just behind TrueLeaf on, 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 on dollar volume for the month of April. Uh, didn't really, so, so far we've had a bunch of crypto, we've had, one cannabis and we've had a roche which is of course a like international conglomerate compared to like these two emerging industries which, so there's that interesting dichotomy there uh after the uh, classic ethereum trust bnp Paribas. so i mentioned at the top of the show why would a company want to trade on otcqx or on the otc markets uh, it's because they trade in in their own market primarily and they just for whatever reason don't want to go through uh, the process of listing on an exchange in the U.S. So BNP Paribas is the the bank, the French bank that you all have probably heard of. They're huge, they're international, and their primary market is over in Europe. But for U.S. investors, the way to get access is either A, create a, a brokerage account in, in Europe and go through that hassle, or B, trade them on the OTCQX market here in the U.S. Uh, number eight, Green Thumb, another one that I own, GTBIF. This was this is also frequently in the top 10 uh, most traded securities for the market, um, for the QX market on a given month. That was followed by another one that I own, Cure Relief. And there's a reason these are the most active is because they're the largest MSOs and, and in my opinion, you know, the best positioned. Uh, so you have Green Thumb, you have Cure, Cure Relief back to back. And then rounding out the top 10 for the most actively traded securities on the OTCQX market in April was the company that we just spoke with, Hive Blockchain, HVBT. 
HVBCF. I didn't get that right. HVBCF. There it is. That was your 10th most active security on the QX market for the month of April. Um, <laughs> Isaac says, asked if I should be sitting next time. Maybe. I don't know. I was doing Power Hour. And I, I thought, what the hell? I want to do Luke's thing. I, I want to I want to go where Luke stands. Does it seem unnatural to you? I'm okay with that. I, I, I kind of like it, actually. I can, like, lean forward. It's kind of nice. I'm not just sitting, like, in, in my corner. So there we go. Okay, ran through the top 10. Uh, just to recap, we have uh, GBTC. We had uh, ETHE. We had Roche. We had Big Digital, TrueLeaf, Grayscale, BNP Paribas, Green Thumb, CureLeaf, and Hive Blockchain. Uh, there will be an article. If it's not up already, it should be up in the next day or so. Uh, uh, recapping the top 10 most active securities on the QX market in April, on the QB market in April, and any other notable trends uh, that we see. Again, this is data directly from uh, the issuer, uh, directly from OTC markets. So there is that. Okay, uh, smash the like, guys. My next guest is here. I see him in the background of our studio, Jay Hutton, the CEO of Visibility Group. VZBGF is your ticker. They're on the pink market. And um, let's go ahead and bring Jay on now if we can produce your AV. Jay, how are we doing today? Doing well. Thank you, Spencer. How are you? Doing dandy. Actually, no, I'm having a legendary day. Legendary. Legendary. But epic. I, I, I did an, I do an interview with with this guy and he always signs off with have a legendary day and I and I, I like that. <clears throat> That's like a Walter Cronkite thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, yeah, he's my spirit animal, so it makes sense. Oh, okay, uh, okay, good, good. Jay Hutton, CEO of Visibility Group. Uh, tell us what you guys do. Sure. Uh, Visibility is a computer vision artificial intelligence company. We provide Google style analytics for physical spaces. We sit in this uh, category that's basically teaches computers and cameras how to interpret what they see. We do this for retail outcomes and security outcomes. The world's largest companies are partnered with us. We've been in a long-term commercial relationship with Intel and more to come on that, uh, having developed products together and gone to market together on multiple things. Of course, our biggest deal is a deal we announced in December with Anheuser-Busch, where we're deploying 50,000 stores uh, across Latin America. I can talk more about that in a moment. Uh, Westrock, an S&P component company, and Johnson Controls. For calendar 2021, we're guiding between 15 and 20 million in bookings. We're a SaaS company, recurring revenue, so high margin software revenue uh, accrued over time and typically three-year contracts. Some of them are longer. Uh, we're partnered with ABI, Anheuser-Busch, uh, in particular in Latin America, because uh, they identified the need to do three things in retail in Latin America, visual display, audience analytics so how many people are coming into my store how many men how many women how many 25 year olds how many 35 year olds um, what's their sentiment when they come in all this creates an environment where the store itself becomes a channel for media uh, for the promotion of beers or the promotion of soft drinks the promotion of um, snacks and confectionery that sort of thing so we're, we've got this huge opportunity in uh, latin america the commitment is 55,000 stores over five years Another, part, another partner of ours, specifically in Latin America, is uh, Energetica, where uh, almost 18 months ago, together with them, we won a piece of business for a smart city deployment to Mexico City, where we're deploying 40,000 cameras over four years. 
Uh, uh, it's a $10 million deal for visibility. We're just begun it. We're at about eight to 10,000 cameras right now. Uh, we were slowed down slightly during COVID, but it's ramping up again. And of course, in that environment, as opposed to retail, in that environment, we're looking for license plate detection, car detection, pedestrian counting, car counting, car classification. Is there a fight in a crowd? Is there a fire in a crowd? All these things are capabilities that computer vision is uniquely able to address and identify. And the problem is, as we know in security, is we've got an increasing number of cameras out there, tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of millions of cameras, and we haven't solved the problem that is people-based. In other words, we have too many cameras being monitored by too few individuals. This is a perfect opportunity for artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence can be leveraged to interpret the video streams on behalf of the operator, not replace the operator. We're not talking about a robot world. We're talking about augmenting the operator, giving the operator more contextual information. If the camera sees something that the operator missed, the camera can identify to the operator there's something you need to look at. This has had a huge impact in Mexico City, where the first four counties that have been employed, Coyamalpa, Benito Juarez, Miguel Hidalgo, have seen 40% crime reduction in one year. And this is an unsafe city. This does a couple things. Of course, it does the obvious. It increases safety in the city, but it gets mayors reelected. That's an important, that's an important piece as well. Right. So uh, we're very delighted to see uh, the growth of the company. We've inflected significantly over the last little while, and we've got uh, a huge opportunity in front of us. So can you explain what exactly the product is? So it's cameras that uh, ingest uh, data into like some sort of a SaaS product uh, or platform, and that in turn spits out like insights? Yes. So technically, the product isn't the camera. The product is the software that runs on compute that is connected to the camera. Okay. So the camera feed comes in. It's a video stream. You know that. <laughs> uh, we interpret that video stream for things of meaning. Uh, now, every uh, environment, a retail environment, would have things of meaning that are different than a security environment. Uh, in retail, you may be looking for the number of men, the number of women, the number of 25-year-olds, the number of 35-year-olds, the number of people that are happy versus unhappy. All that can be measured remarkably by cameras. That's very valuable in a retail context. In a security context, the things you might be looking for are bad guys, people that have been banned from the facility, weapons, license plates of note, vehicles, vehicle classification. So we do the plumbing for both of those businesses, and we do so under a software as a service construct. So it sounds like you're going to solve the problem every time I go to the store and there's one register open and there's 30 people online and I'm just like, what the hell? Where can't you just yeah, that's, that's one of the problems. That's one of the problems. In retail, we everybody have everybody identifies with that. Right, right. In retail, we have both an operational issue we're solving and we're we're constituting a brand new media channel. Spencer, if you're PepsiCo and you're launching a brand new energy drink in retail, you can deploy our product to measure the performance of digital media in store in real time against your target audience, which is probably a 25 to 30 year old male. We're doing for bricks and mortar what Google did in the 90s for the internet. And that's why it's so exciting for us. Uh, what is the nature of the Anheuser Busch partnership? So we're doing 55,000 stores in uh, 
principally four countries, but uh, there are there's it's expanded beyond that. It's Peru, Colombia, Ecuador, and Mexico, with the greatest concentration in Mexico. Anheuser-Busch owns a company called Modelorama. Modelorama is a convenience store. Think of 7-Eleven, a, a variant of that. They are deployed throughout the country, and we are deploying digital display, audience analytics, and security. If you're an uh, empresario and you run a Modelorama in Guadalajara, you will be robbed. It's going to happen. It's just the nature of the of the country at the moment, tragically. So we deploy an advertising network, which means that Modelorama can monetize that. They can sell the spaces on that network. We measure it just like Google measures a website. We can give you metrics on the value of that advertising medium, male, female, number of people, etc. And we have our cameras looking for bad guys, weapons, indications of a security risk, all that combined together is the delivery to Anheuser-Busch. We're actually building a joint venture with them. We'll own 33%, they'll own 33, our local partner will own 33. And it's a mammoth opportunity for us to build what is right now the largest digital media network for retail in the world by orders of magnitude actually, significantly larger than anything close to it. All right, so the logical question is, you know, you're, you're ingesting and analyzing this data uh, from cameras and, and all these physical locations. So I, I walk into a store, you know, I, like what are the privacy implications of that? You're right. That is, it's a, it's a topic we deal with Spencer almost daily. <laughs> I bet. Um, so <laughs> we, we make it, we make it really clear. Like we developed this product over the five or six years, right? We spent a bunch of money doing it and we've done so completely conscious of the environment that we're selling into, which is privacy concern. So we talk about our product being anonymous. We don't identify that it's Spencer, which is the PII problem in privacy, personally identifiable information. What we do, however, is we uh, scrape your demographic data, 35 year old male, happy, et cetera, spent this amount of time in front of the Pepsi, display this amount of time in front of the Coke display, I'm making it up. All that data is incredibly valuable to monetize the platform. But identifying Spencer as Spencer is not that valuable, not in the retail context. So in the retail context, we anonymize the data, we make that data available. The close analogy would be the same kind of data that's available on your phone or on the internet when you surf the internet in terms of building the profile. That's what we need. From an advertising perspective, we just need to be able to build the profile, which we do demographically. So very simply, vis visibility makes money just from signing deals with retailers. Retailers and security. We're in this category known broadly as smart city. The Mexico deployment is a smart city deployment. Our customer is the municipal governments that constitute Mexico City together. So they're looking for things that are public safety in nature, right? Yeah, that, so th that makes sense. Um, I, I would imagine I'm, I'm I'm wondering what what the last year or so has been like for for you. I, I imagine with everybody at home, there hasn't been much of a need for a service like yours. But now that we're coming out of theoretically coming out of this pandemic, at least in most yeah, yeah. parts of the most parts of the world. Um, and maybe just you can talk to you like what the last year has been like. I'm, I'm just curious. So believe it or not, last year was uh, up about so 400% on the previous year. Um, you know, people think of retail and we have heavy exposure to retail, no doubt about it. But retail isn't broadly negatively impacted. 
we reasonably think that because we know our own behaviors have changed during COVID, but grocery is up 147%, Spencer. DIY, the Lowe's and Home Depot's are up 120% during COVID. So they're actually breaking records. Is there categories of retail that are just terrible at the moment? Absolutely. If you're in Nordstrom's or Macy's, um, you know, you're, it's not good. But other categories of retail are actually doing well. And what's interesting is our exposure as visibility, our exposure to retail is principally in the areas that are doing well. If you're looking to assert your store as an advertising platform, which is what's happening here, you're looking to do so in the places where you have the most SKUs, grocery, the most discreet products, because all those products are potential advertisers. In grocery, the average number of SKUs per grocery store is between 75,000 and 100,000. In a, uh, a Home Depot, you'll be 50 to 60,000. So all of those brands are, are interested in buying advertising impressions in that store. So remarkably, uh, during COVID, we've seen an acceleration in, in uh, technology and innovation in our customers. And it's continuing into 2021. You said last year was up, I think you said 400%, was it in terms of revenue? Roughly, yeah. Okay. Uh, what, what is revenue right now? Well, we just announced our uh, 2020, uh, and we did about a million Canadian, just shy of a million Canadian. But okay. this year, where the, the inflection is underway in terms of percentage growth uh, month over month. SaaS is an inverted triangle, as I'm sure you've heard thousands of people tell you before. It has a narrow base. One goes to two, goes to four, goes to eight. That's exactly the inflection point we're, we're engaged in right now. And because we've got these very, very large deals that are part of that monetization effort, we're scaling now. Our problem isn't necessarily about demand. We don't, we don't, we're not knocking on a lot of doors at the moment. We're focused on execution because we've landed the deals and we're now executing on those deals. That's why I can say with confidence uh, what our numbers are likely to be in the current fiscal year. So visibility trades on the pink market, uh, what are the merits of that? Uh, is there a scenario where you would move up to the, the QB or the QX or maybe even in, in exchange? And Actually, that effort to move up is underway at the moment. Okay. We're kind of waiting on pins and needles at the moment to graduate. Um, our principal market is the Canadian Stock Exchange in Canada. That's where we do the most volume. Yeah. Um, so we've just actually... It was a broker that initiated the, pay, the trading for us in the pink sheets. It wasn't even company initiated. But because we started to see some volume, significant volume actually in the US, we thought we'd invest in, in moving up and getting uh, to a higher a grade uh, uh, market. So maybe you can speak to the merits since you said your primary market, your, pr your primary market is in Canada. Uh, explain, explain the merits of, of cross-listing in, in the US if, if it's not going to be your primary market. Well, listen, our, uh, we know that the end of our journey includes a NASDAQ listing. That's part of our tracking. We're not Pollyanna about it. We're not saying it's going to happen by July. We understand the initial listing requirements are what they are in the U.S. But the moment we find ourselves in a position to go after that marketplace, we're going to do so. That's our journey. That's our goal. That's our objective. Uh, we've been delighted to be a principal listing in Canada because we've received a lot of support from the investment banking community. We actually are a very liquid stock. We, we trade significant amounts of stock on a day-to-day -day basis, not approaching some of the numbers you showed in the prior segment, but, but still pretty good liquidity. Uh, and um, 
we definitely believe that uh, broader exposure to our U.S. marketplace, investor marketplace, is critical for us. It is our primary customer marketplace, so it might as well be our primary investor marketplace. Got it. Yep, makes sense. Jay Hutton, as you can see on the screen, is CEO of Visibility Ticker VSBLTY. Um, before I let you go, Jay, I'm trying to rack my brain. Like, who are your competitors? Who are you competing against? I, I feel like there's got to be some big player that I'm not thinking of that, that's 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 uh, in on this space. So there are three discrete parts of our deliverable, Spencer. We have visual display, which frankly has a couple thousand competitors. <laughs> it's not. It's a crowded marketplace. We call that a content management system. We govern everything a screen plays, all of the visuals, um, content management. The second piece, and in that marketplace, like I said, crowded, right? A couple thousand maybe. Uh, we have anonymous data analytics, which is gathering up the demographic data for the purposes of presenting to the brands, the ROI, the imprint impressions, the all the things happening in, in real time to support the ad spend. That's anonymous, and that is two or three competitors, one French-based, a couple US-based, so it's a lot less crowded. And then uh, in the security category where we're doing persons of interest, weapons detection, license plate detection, we have a different set of competitors in that marketplace. All this to say, none of them compete across the board. So when it comes to a deal like the Anheuser-Busch deal in Latin America, where all three components are consumed, we're kind of a one uh, a one stop shop, and that puts us in a unique position to compete aggressively in some of the larger deals. Jay Hutton, CEO of Visibility. Jay, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you, Spencer. All right, uh, one fifteen here. We got uh, what? What do we got coming up? We got Mark Pekin uh, is coming up next. He'll be on in a couple of minutes. After he's the uh, the CEO of Bespoke Growth Partners. They just completed a a complicated merger. We'll talk about that uh, with uh, Cicerex. And then we've got Brian Goodman. I, I, I got to say, guys, I had no idea that there'd be so much interest for, for Brian Goodman or Gordon Matrix Group. That, that'll be at 140, give or take a few minutes. Um, a, a lot of people in chat seem very interested uh, to hear from, from Brian. Uh, took Caught me by surprise completely. So, uh, Excited for that. That'll be at 140. Uh, and then I'll get Mark on in a few minutes, guys. If you haven't already, go ahead and smash that like button for substitute host, substitute Luke Jacoby, knock off Luke Jacoby, aka Spencer Israel. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm in Luke's seat for a day. I gotta say, I'm getting comfortable here. I wasn't comfortable at first because like this is Luke's spot, but but I'm getting more and more comfortable. So if you think I should be the new host of Power Hour. Throw one in the chat. If you think I never should appear on this show ever again, throw a two in the chat. I'm, I'm just curious to see what people think. Um, but but it's kind of fun taking over for Luke for a day. I feel like I'm the I think like I'm in charge. I mean, let's be real. I am in charge, but uh, now I feel like I'm in charge of. I, I can just like ruin everything. You know, I can just make mess with Luke's stuff, his soundboard, everything, just mess with all of it, and just let him deal with it tomorrow. And that's his problem. <laughs> All right. Um, it is 1.17. Let me get Mark on in a couple of minutes here. I just wanted to, um, real quick, you know, I, I ran, ran through the top 10 most active names on the QX market uh, before Jay came on. And I wanted to do the, uh, uh, the, the QB market briefly. I'm not going to go into great detail. 
um, in, in that market. But uh, for those interested, the most active name on the QB market in April was Voyager Digital. And th- again, I'm talking about in terms of dollar volume, dollar volume, Voyager Digital. If you, if you watch the show, you know it's a favorite. Luke Jacoby timed this one incredibly well. He traded it. He, he sold some. He lightened up the day of the Coinbase IPO. Fantastic trade from Luke Jacoby. Um, Jason Rasnick is still long and strong. And uh, Voyager is uh, very active. Very active. Obviously, the price run-up uh, is, is evident there from the chart. Uh, Cytodin, CYDY, has been uh, among the most traded names on uh, QB pretty much since the start of COVID. Um, I remember them being, I have like a vague recollection of them being involved in like some sort of a treatment. And I'll be honest, I don't remember what happened there, if, if, if that ever came to market or what. But CYDY is a pretty active name uh, uh, on the QB market. Uh, Fannie and Freddie, guys, you forgot. Fannie and Freddie are still public. They still trade. They are controlled by the government. They are government-sponsored uh, entities. All the profits go to the treasury, but you can trade them. You can trade them. Fannie Mae, FNMA, trades on the QB. Freddie Mac, FMCC, also trades on the QB. Uh, there are actually like a bunch of different share classes. I have no idea what the difference is between all of them. But uh, FNMA is the main one for Fannie, FMCC for, for Freddie. Uh, and those are frequently uh, the most active, among the most active traded securities on the QB market. So uh, shout out to Fannie Freddie. Shout out to, you know, housing market. Wait, Spencer, um, I just got to cut in here and get a quick producer note. I, yeah. I, I see some comments about, A, that to take over Luke's, you need, you, need, you need to start getting a little louder into the mic. B. Oh, my God. I'm not loud enough to, to be No, Luke? no, your, your, your levels are fine, but not, right. Luke, not Luke levels. Okay, I, mean, we, I we, we, we might need a, uh, I don't know if it's set up, but we might need at least one quick air horn just to. All right. Uh, where is Luke's air horn? <laughs> there's so many buttons here it should be there's, just like the main button why, like why doesn't it say why doesn't it say air horn guys maybe like positive it's, they're in folders you gotta go oh, like positive it, sounds. It, it, it does I'm just I just missed it there we go alright that's all that's all producer AB no, needed it, it literally said air horn I just skipped right over it and, it, and it's a different color I, it's a different color and it just I just, it's, it, I just selective perception on my part uh, okay let's bring on our next guest, the show must go on. Mark Pekin, CEO of Bespoke Growth Partners. They just completed, as I said, a triangular reverse merger. Uh, we're going to talk about that merger with Cicerex here. And I'm going to bring Mark on. Mark, how are we doing today? Very well. How are you? Doing well. Producer, let's see if we can uh, jack up his levels a little bit. Uh, Mark, I know you were just on uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I'm not. I'm going to assume that not everybody that's watching then was wa- or what that's watching now was watching then. Explain to us this triangular reverse merger and, and sort of what's what's happening there. Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, on April 14th, uh, a triangular reverse merger closed uh, between TTM Ventures, uh, which prior to that. Uh, as part of the completion of that merger, uh, became TTM Digital Assets and Technologies. And that was merged into Sizerex. Uh, and so at this point, uh, TTM Digital Assets and Technologies is the controlling uh, entity 
uh, effectively as the, the larger subsidiary of the two subsidiaries that are within Sizerex. Uh, the other is the historical business, uh, which is Sizerex Government Services, uh, which provides uh, uh, network solutions and uh, cybersecurity uh, goods and services uh, pursuant to government contracts. Okay, so okay, so that that makes some sense to me, though I do admit the stuff is is a little bit complicated. Um, so you're the CEO of the new combined companies, all right? No, uh, I am no. not. the uh, The new CEO is Wayne Wasserberg. So okay. my company, uh, Bespoke Growth Partners, uh, was an early investor uh, in TTM Ventures. So we started investing when Ethereum was about uh, sixty dollars, and uh, we uh, wound up doing about three or four different rounds uh, with uh, with TTM. Uh, and then we uh, we were able to introduce uh, TTM uh, to the uh, Sizerex party uh, and effectively uh, work with them uh, through the transaction. And, and of course, now uh, TTM is publicly listed. And uh, the company is uh, focused on Ethereum mining, uh, currently is operating uh, north of 12,000 uh, NVIDIA GPUs, uh, owns a data center facility and has other co-located facilities and is the uh, largest uh, Ethereum miner uh, that we're aware of in the United States and the only one uh, that is uh, US-based that's publicly traded. What, what got you into Ethereum mining in the first place? Sure. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin, of course, uh, it was really drawing all of the attention um, at the time that we started, and, and Ethereum was really uh, in its infancy. Uh, but even early on, uh, back in late 2017, 2018, at the uh, outset uh, of TTM, we realized that Ethereum would provide a, a more uh, a more flexible platform for growth for growth uh, than than Bitcoin. Uh, certainly, you know, as you know, when you compare the two, uh, Bitcoin is a is a tremendous store of value, right? It's been likened, uh, of course, to uh, you know, to gold, uh, and uh, certainly uh, makes the transactions uh, financial transactions occur. Uh, much more much more quickly right than traditional uh, banking uh, however it doesn't have the same flexibility uh, as ethereum where you can have smart contracts and uh, really uh, DeFi, uh, decentralized finance uh, creating all sorts of, of novel opportunities for growth and that also makes the ethereum network uh, much more advantageous for uh, for smaller and more frequent transactions on a scale one to ten though like how surprised are you of the rise in Ethereum this year? You know, we're really not that surprised, uh, actually. Um, we were sort of wondering why you know, the rest of the market, uh, you know, hasn't caught on, uh, you know, to Ethereum. Uh, when you're looking at um, where we are today and, and where uh, sort of the entire you know, internet economy uh, is, is moving you know, to Web 3.0, uh, which is, you know, effectively really being built on um, the, the, uh, the Ethereum blockchain, and, and all the opportunities that that creates really for peer-to-peer -peer interaction. Um, you know, we were frankly uh, surprised, but uh, uh, fortunate, right, to be able to uh, invest in Ethereum uh, at, uh, at much lower prices. Uh, and certainly we're, we're really excited about all of the, uh, the potential that Ethereum holds. Here's a good question from our chat. I'm gonna ask it. SPAC Brokers asking, uh, what your plan is once Ethereum switches to proof of stake? Sure. Well, of, of course, um, uh, I'm sure a lot of you are aware now of Ethereum 2.0 and then the move toward uh, proof of stake. And uh, while uh, we can't uh, reveal all of our plans, it is certainly the, the GPU miners uh, that we do have 
uh, will be uh, repurposed uh, in, in some fashion. You know, certainly, uh, the company has capabilities to do uh, AI and, and rendering, uh, but also uh, the management team has experienced mining other cryptocurrencies as well. And then, of course, uh, there's also Ethereum Classic. Um, in terms of uh, proof of stake, the company also feels that uh, it is uniquely positioned, you know, given its uh, early involvement in Ethereum and its wide-scale uh, involvement in the mining of Ethereum today, uh, that uh, in order to uh, really prepare for that proof of stake, uh, the company is aggregating uh, significant quantities uh, of Ethereum in Treasury. And so uh, right now, uh, based on the miners that are currently, or the GPUs that are currently online, uh, the company is, is uh, mining uh, between six and 700 uh, Ethereum uh, per month, uh, but that number is expected to to increase as, as additional uh, miners that are uh, purchased uh, by the by the company also come online. I'm curious, what kind of exposure um, do you, do do you have to this global shortage of semiconductors? Uh, you know, it's obviously impacting different industries in different ways. The auto industry is, is sort of you know screwed for the moment. Um, is there any impact to to uh, to your your business? Well, it's it's always been uh, there's always been some level of challenge, right, to be able to obtain uh, the GPUs, and uh, really we don't see it being that uh, more difficult today uh, than it's been historically. Uh, we were fortunate, you know, really during during the 2018 sort of crypto winter to be able to uh, acquire a significant number of GPUs um, at favorable pricing, and uh, because we have, uh, you know, through our investors um, and uh, partnerships, uh, really a, a clear channel uh, to NVIDIA, uh, where we've been working with them uh, for quite some time, and uh, we have historical orders and, and continue to uh, place additional orders. Uh, we think, given the the quantity uh, of those, um, which we really can't talk about, you know, here uh, today, um, we think that we're not going to have a problem uh, continue to uh, to expand the mining capabilities. Uh, Jordan Watkins from the chat. Uh, yes, the merger went through Jordan, but he's also asking uh, if you can comment on the share structure, when what that looks like post-merger. Sure. Now, currently, there's about um, about 150 million shares uh, that are are outstanding. So, uh, effectively, 80 uh, percent of those shares sort of correlate to the uh, to the investors and and the shareholders of, of TTM, um, being one of the wholly owned subsidiaries. Uh, balance, you know, the, the former uh, Sizewerks public shareholders, as well as uh, there was a conversion of debt and a cleaning up of the balance sheet uh, related to Sizewerks, which uh, created some of the additional uh, share issuances. Um, however, uh, most of those shares uh, are currently uh, restricted, and they're not they're not trading uh, today in the market. Got it. Got it. Um, can you speak to the merits of mining Ethereum in, in the U.S. Uh, versus the largest, the country with the most miners, which is China? I mean, why, why, why do that? Well, you know, we think that uh, being a U.S.-based company uh, and obviously uh, being audited, you know, to uh, U.S. Uh, GAAP standards, and uh, it really provides investors with a, a greater level of comfort, uh, you know, in terms of the fact that, you uh, uh, it can be measured uh, what what it is that uh, is being you know, being done. Of course, the mining of Ethereum, and that there is a greater level of transparency. You know, we feel uh, being here in the United States, and uh, you know, certainly uh, we can't uh, sort of reveal 
some of the locations of these data centers, but uh, they're structured in a way to take advantage of more uh, natural and clean uh, power at very, uh, at very low cost um, on a relative basis. And you know, we think we're extremely well positioned for, for continued growth. And when you look at uh, when you look at Sizerex, uh, you know today in comparison to some of the Bitcoin miners, uh, for example, Marathon or Riot, um, we have a more significant uh, revenue. Um, we, the company uh, will when it reports uh, obviously uh, uh, the financial information post transaction. Um, I, I think that the market will see that it's highly profitable uh, business as well, and that really the growth curve uh, for Ethereum we, we believe is much more attractive. Uh, the Bitcoin as well. Uh, so we expect um, you know, to, to see a tremendous success, uh, continued success, and then really the ability to both benefit from a proof of stake in the future, but then also, uh, of course, uh, to have sort of that internal uh, hedge of sorts, right, to be able to mine uh, other cryptocurrencies and to do that uh, in a dynamic fashion. Another good one here from our chat. Chat's on fire today. Uh, what, what other cryptos are on the balance sheet? You guys on Bitcoin? As on Dogecoin, um, so we're not we're not on uh, Dogecoin. Um, Dogecoin. <laughs> not not yet. You're not. Not yet. You're not. Well, I think I think it's fun, but when you kind of look at um, you look at sort of the different cryptocurrencies that are out there, you've got the really uh, this very stable store of value uh, right. in Bitcoin, but much less flexibility, right? I think that at this point, you know, given the transactions that are occurring uh, on the Ethereum blockchain, right, seeing that there's been more than a billion uh, in value of NFTs that have exchanged hands in the in the previous quarter. Uh, you know, for example, uh, the number of dApps, you know, that are being developed. I mean, if I was Apple, I'd probably you know, either watch out or figure out a way to uh, sort of get in the game. And when you look at uh, Ethereum, uh, for example, if you made an analogy to uh, trading, uh, you know, trading cards, you know, something that, you know, did when I was when I was much younger, of course, you know, may, maybe that, uh, you know, holding Ethereum is, is like, you know, having a, you know, a, a Ty Cobb or a, a Reggie Jackson or maybe a, you know, uh, you know, a rookie card, whereas, uh, you know, Dogecoin is interesting, but it's sort of like more like garbage bell kids or, or something, you know, of that nature. Um, <laughs> where, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, right, it, it is a, um, you know, you can buy and sell and you can uh, enter into transactions. Uh, but the reality is you can't, uh, I don't think that investors can confidently have, uh, be able to say that that's a, a, a stable, a long-term store value. Uh, Dogecoin is that that fake Mex player that was an April Fool's prank that I I don't remember what his name was. Um, from there was like an April Fool's prank from like the sixties. Sid Finch, Sid Finch, right? And he, and he, and he wasn't real. Uh, so I, I guess maybe that's the baseball card equivalent of of of, of, of Dogecoin. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Mark Pekin is the CEO of Bespoke Growth Partners. Uh, you know, speaking for uh, Bespoke Growth, speaking for uh, Sizerx and speaking for uh, TTM. So uh, the combined company, the merger is complete and trades on the QX. Is that right? Uh, it's trading on the QB, uh, QB at, this, sorry. at this point, right? And uh, uh, the way that the transaction is structured is that the uh, combined financials uh, will be uh, filed in uh, approximately 60 days. And uh, we think, you know, based on the merits, uh, it could be reasonably expected that the company will uh, will eventually trade on a, on a national exchange. All right. Mark Pekin, thanks a lot for joining us today. You appreciate your time. All right, uh, it is one thirty-three. We got about a half hour left in today's special edition of the Power Hour. I am Luke Jacoby. Hit the like button.
for me. I would appreciate that. Um, I, I'm, I should say I, I'm, I'm the new Luke Jacoby. That's what I am. I'm the new. I'm Luke 2.0. That's what I am. I'm Luke 2.0. Smash the like for all these guests. If you want more special shows, you have ideas for a special, hit us up, right? Shows at Benzinga.com. You can also email Luke at Benzinga. Oh, this is my chance. Luke gives out my email all the time. So now the shoe's on the other foot, right? Luke at Benzinga.com. If you have ideas for spe- other specials you want us to do or just email shows at Benzinga, that email goes to like a bunch of people here. Um, you, whether you want us to do uh, uh, whatever, a crypto special, uh, 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 gaming, esports, whatever, Whatever kind of uh, market you're interested in, that's <laughs> uh, funny, Tiny Pie Media. Uh, <laughs> whatever kind of market you're interested in, let us know. We will book it. We, we, we will book it. Uh, I'm bringing you guys live interviews right now. All right? Five interviews in one show. <laughs> Man, it's hard to focus. It's hard to focus with you guys. It really is. I got people laughing in my ear. I got, I got the chat up on the screen. and. It is hard. It's hard to focus. It's hard to like make sense of what I'm saying when I've got you people um, in my face and, and in my ear. But uh, yeah, chat's very funny. Uh, no, I will not be showing you guys my live portfolio because I'm not insane like like Luke and Jason. Uh, but I've shared with you before, not on this show, um, but I've shared on, on other shows. You know what my portfolio is, and I can bring it up in Benzinga Pro. So you can see if you if you really care, I'll, here I'll do this. I'll do this to appease the chat, and um, we'll do it for like five seconds. But I have any a portfolio of ETFs. Hold on, let me get it up there. Where's my uh, where's my watch list? There's my ETFs here, and I'm and I'll just add the the couple of stocks that I own right now. I, I've I've gone through this before. I have a portfolio of ETFs and and, and a handful of stocks. I've mentioned the stocks already that, that, that I own. And here, let me just zoom in and I'll share my screen so y'all can see exactly uh, what I own here. And that way, I'll get I'll get the chat off my back, and then we can move on to our final guest of the day. Where's my screen? There it is. All right, this is my portfolio. This is what I own. And this is in Benzinga Pro, obviously, so so it's in watch list form. Um, oh, I, meant, I, I, I forgot um, uh, I forgot Cresco. Okay, this is what I own, right? You see most ETFs, oh, and Starbucks. Stocks I own are Ford, Starbucks, Disney, and those kind of the stocks. The rest of it is just ETFs. As you can see, ARKW, uh, VOO and VEU together represent about 60% of my portfolio. Everything else is like 2% or less, right? So I got a lot of VOO, a lot of VEU. I'm diversified, as the kids say. I'm diversified. Uh, the rest of this stuff is all very small slices, right? I got a very small slice of ESPO, ARKW, uh, SRVR, which I happen to like a lot. It's breaking out. Actually, I did sell. The uh, SPCX is on there, but I sold that guy. That that one sucked. That one sucked. So um, here, just do a piece of chat. This is what I own. There you go. Up on the screen. No, I don't own any Dogecoin. I, I, I own a little bit of Bitcoin. Uh, and that's about it for my crypto exposure. Is I own, I own Bitcoin. 
and Bitcoin just on Coinbase. I don't own any, you know, Bitcoin um, assets like that. Okay, chat's happy. <laughs> Jacob, dump ESPO and buy GMG. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. I guess it depends on uh, the 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 outcome of this next conversation that I have with uh, with with Brian Goodman, um, who actually is in the studio right now. He's in the background. I think I'll bring him on. I think I'll bring him on. This was the, this is the one I had no idea this was going to be the case. Um, and he wasn't booked last intentionally, but, uh, or latest in the day intentionally, it was just what worked out for a schedule, but the chat's been clamoring. They've been all over this since the stream started today. They said, we want GMGI. We want Brian Goodman. We want Golden Matrix. So let's bring on, um, let's bring on Brian right now. Brian Goodman is the CEO of Golden Matrix Group, ticker GMGI on the pink market. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. The chat has been all over me, clamoring for you. So you're here. You're here finally. I can get them off my back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, hello, everyone. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, what did you say? You're keeping the best to last. That's exactly uh, what I said. That's exactly what I said. Saving the best. For last, in all seriousness, the people exactly. have been spamming our chat saying GMGI. Where's GMGI? Uh, it's coming. They're coming. He's not here yet. All right, but he's here now. Brian, for, for, for the uninitiated, for the uninitiated, big fan club I have out there. Anyway, we you don't do. have much fun. You you do have so, a big fan club. <laughs> explain explain Golden Matrix uh, for the, for those for that one person in chat that doesn't know. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, I guess I'll try and cover a few things. We don't have much time. So um, in brief, I'm going to cover where we've been, where we're now, and uh, where we're going. Uh, personally, I have over 20 years of gaming experience. I'm one of the original online gaming operators, and we've successfully run uh, B2C businesses as well as B2B operations globally. I took over Golden Matrix. It was a mining company um, in 2016. It was, what would I say? It was laden with debt. It had toxic debt, convertible stuff, uh, maybe $2.9 million worth of this debt. Uh, within a few months, we cleared it out. Uh, today, the company is, is profitable. It's cash positive, and it's, uh, it's a successful company. We're all about uh, gaming. Uh, initially, we began our focus in, in the Asia-Pacific Um and um, we, uh, we, we've now started to, to expand globally. Um, the business, obviously, being an uh, online gaming business, is highly scalable. Uh, just roughly, um, we, we've just posted our, our annual results. So you're all welcome to go to the site. It's goldenmatrix.com. And you can look at the highlights there for yourself. A picture tells a thousand words, I guess. But um, our revenues were up. 59% compared to the previous 12 months. Our cash on hand is up 531%. Our total assets have improved by somewhere around 273%. Um, I guess you're all asking what we do. Um, we, we have um, technology that allows um, operators to obviously go online and run uh, full, uh, fully-fledged um, gaming operations. Uh, traditionally, we take land-based operators 
um, we help them transition from the land-based environment to the online world. Uh, obviously, with COVID times, uh, this has uh, been very attractive. And also in, in the US, uh, in, in America, you will have obviously seen the, the legislation is, is moving at a rapid rate and um, the whole world is moving uh, towards, uh, towards online and um, I guess that's what we do. Uh, we, we build um, uh, scalable uh, platforms, um, turnkey solutions we can build. Um, and and our our revenues are based on on royalties. So the the, the normal sales pitch uh, to uh, an operator is uh, we can build you an entire environment. We can help you uh, launch it. We can help you run it and uh, teach you uh, how to monetize it. And we'll do this all for no cost at all. All you need to do is show us that you have an ability ultimately to run this uh, this organization. Uh, this gaming entity, and we can uh, we can help you get there. And the way we earn money is we have uh, we get a percentage of royalty uh, from what they make. So if they don't if they're not successful, we don't make any money. But if they're successful, we get an ongoing royalty. And so therefore, it's like an annuity. As they get stronger and bigger, we get more and more um, revenues and. Um, Right now, we have over 400 unique operators. Uh, we have over over 4 million players on our system that are supported. So it's a tried and tested system. Um, we're, we're a go-to system in, uh, in Asia Pacific. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's not a difficult sales pitch, but we need to be careful because we only take on people who we think have got a good uh, chance of success. And... Um, you know, uh, that's uh, that's pretty much what we've been doing, and, and we've been very uh, successful at it. Um, as mentioned, we're expanding our operations. We have our own gaming portfolio that's about to come to the U.S. Um, it's it's a skill set uh, of games, and um, it's it's a player to player um, a game which which allows people to bet against each other playing esports. So effectively, you'd be playing Xbox or something along those lines. You would go online, look for somebody else who wants to play you and place a bet uh, against that person. It's a, uh, we think it's going to be a, a very successful product in, in today's world. And, um, and so we have this portfolio that's being launched. And uh, uh, on top of that, we, we obviously going to, we've told the market that we're going to be uh, making some acquisitions. We have an application uh, to move up to NASDAQ, uh, which is pending. And um, uh, these acquisitions that we're looking at are, are, are private companies, uh, which will probably buy around four or five times multiple, very important, obviously, um, four, four or five times multiple of profits. And then we'd flip them into our company. And obviously, as everybody knows, we would get somewhere around 20 or 30 times multiple, or hopefully, um, uh, flip it into 20 or 30 times multiple in our hands. All of these uh, targeted acquisitions that we're looking at are, are profitable, cash positive, and accretive to, to our business. I'm glad you mentioned that because the chat, that's like the one question the chat has pretty much is like, can you, can you give us a ballpark or a timeline of, of when that could, could be happening, the uplisting? I wish I could, but we obviously can't. Uh, as everybody knows as well, that there's 
there's been a, a record number of, of SPACs coming to the market. Um, it's, 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 I don't know, even know what the number was, but in, in the first few months uh, of the year, there was, a, there was a record number and they just continues to, uh, continue to come, the OP, RPOs. And then there are people like us that are moving up. Um, we, we, we qualify now under two uh, criteria. Initially, we qualified in the, the net, on the net income standard, which is very unusual for companies these days. Most companies are burning money and losing money and, and have ideas, gaming ideas that uh, have no sense, make no sense. And uh, uh, ultimately, we 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 now qual- we believe we qualify in 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 two in in two scenarios. But like I say, we applied under the net income standard, and and we easily yeah. qualify right now. So I, I can't really give you that answer, but I, I can tell you that um, we hopeful that it'll be fairly soon. Can you explain like what is behind uh, the growth? So I, I think the number that I read was like four or five straight quarters of of of. Uh... Of, of revenue growth, can you ex- explain what's driven that? What segment of your business is it, or all of them? Yeah, so so effectively, like I say, we we have a, a we actually have a wait list of operators wanting to go online. Uh, we build them the environment, we we help them, and then we launch them uh, in the initial stages. Um, maybe they you know they start out as a smallish business and they also grow over time. So as they grow, we grow. So as we get more operators online, we grow exponentially. Um, because they're growing exponentially, and we benefit from what they make. So um, it's it's the business model that that gives us that uh, that massive growth um, quarter on quarter uh, in revenues. And uh, as I just mentioned, and also um, you know, it's a highly scalable business. So it's not as if we're a land based operation. We get to get more premises, employ more people. Uh, these kind of systems scale up very quickly, and they don't cost much money to scale. As far as I know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but do you have operations in the U.S.? I know you're very active in 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 Asia, but uh, no, we don't. Like, as I, as I mentioned, we have uh, we have a multi pronged attack um, right now. We have a collaboration agreement with a with a licensed uh, company, one of the largest in the world. It's called uh, Playtech Limited. They are sort of the benchmark for gaming content. So we're about to move forward with them, and uh, we built this uh, this portfolio of skill games. and uh, And shortly after we launch that, uh, we will apply for um, for actual gaming licenses. and um, And and it's uh, you know initially, I think our first license will be in uh, in New Jersey, and. Um, We'll move from them, but these games that I mentioned do not require a, a gaming license right now because they're skill games. They esports uh, skill games, people playing games against each other and wagering against each other. New Jersey, my my home state. We have the <laughs> the chart up of uh of the stock up on the screen, and you know to the extent that 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 you can comment, and you know I know you probably don't spend too much time uh you know watching the soccer maybe you do I, I don't know but like what do you make of of the run that that, oh, well, that, I, that you've had i mean granted we're coming off a year that was unlike any other but it's it's sort of been a, a, a tremendous run already and you and you're well, saying you it's, know, you're saying it's still early days yeah i think you know the gaming industry is early days you can look at uh, whatever else is being written you don't need to take my word for it but um, gaming is, uh, is is a huge category, 
and it'll continue to grow. And uh, it, it's, uh, I can give an analogy, I guess, it's like a retail store that doesn't have an online presence. You're pretty much a dinosaur and you won't be in business in the next few years unless you have an online presence. And so we fill that gap. Uh, we, we help people to, you know, to, to launch online. And so uh, we, we confident, obviously, that we'll continue this, uh, this, uh, this progress. I wouldn't call it a run. Um, but but we've delivered on everything we've set out to deliver. We've delivered, and that's why the stock is so strong, and we have such a lot of huge support. Uh, most people that have been following us uh, have stuck with us, and uh, we joke about a fan club, but uh, we have a, a fairly large supporter base, and um, and they continue to uh, to support us. Now, at the risk of inciting a mob. Uh, in our chat, I I, I just want to ask you, like the, the other side of that coin is, uh, what uh, what would have to happen or or, or not happen for, uh, for for the bear case here? I mean, what is the bear case, and what what would have to happen for for the bull case to not um, happen? I, I you know I actually you know there there are a lot of risk factors that could affect our, our bottom line, maybe some currency. Uh, uh, you know, exchange uh, issues. You know, any any type of legislation, but but at the end of the day, um, you know, you'd you'd have to go through and read our reports as to these risk factors. But we're confident. I mean, you you can go out there and see. And and like I said, there, there are hundreds of these gaming companies that claim they're going to send people to Mars and the Moon and set uh, records, but we don't we don't come from. From that world, we, we're a real gaming operator. We generate real revenues, and we've shown people that uh, we're here to uh, to create uh, or generate profits and revenues and cash positive. And we cash positive. We don't, uh, you know, we're not a cash burner. And so, um, you know, much more than that, I can't really uh, tell you. All right, I'm going to go to the chat here and, and let the chat run with this until we let Brian go. Uh, a couple of questions from chat. Will uh, eSports, let's see, um, wait, let me go through here. Uh, tell us about uh, the, the new board and, and I guess what you're excited about there. That's from, that's from uh, I don't know where that's from, but somebody asked that in the chat. The board members? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess um, we um, uh, initially, I, I was the principal financial officer, and so we've we sort of growing up as a company, moving to Nasdaq. We've had to appoint a, a independent, uh, a majority of independent board members, and so we have a, a fairly um, uh, experienced uh, board. We, if, if you look at their profiles, also on our website, uh, you'll see where they come with uh, years of of corporate experience. Uh, in in accounting as well as in legal matters, and and we have a uh, a person who's one of the the most I guess one of the most respected gaming uh, people in the world as well, uh, maybe thirty years of experience called Aaron Johnson, and um, and he'll bring uh, I guess relationships and and acquisition targets uh, for us, and we've recently appointed a a CFO. Who also comes with large amount of experience and also take a lot of, uh, I guess, um, weight of, of what I have to do, and I can focus on the business rather than uh, than the SEC filings. If that, yeah, if, uh, um, yeah. That, that that's always ideal, I think. So yeah. uh, you know, you you filed for for this uh, 
this U.S. mini IPO, and then you, we talked about the uplist already. Uh, the proceeds of that, how would that be used? Um, like I say, I mean, it's um, we have some targeted acquisitions, some uh, some smaller targets, and um, yeah. uh, whilst we don't actually need the money, we've got a lot of uh, we've got a fairly large amount of money on on of our, our cash money on our balance sheet, and we continue to generate money. Um, but it was a, an opportunity to to raise a little bit more money so that we could be in a position to not only buy one uh, of these uh, targeted acquisitions, but but maybe more. And then last question here, I'm going to ask this. This is from Mitch Mandel. Uh, Brian, where do you anticipate the greatest growth coming from? I guess I sort of already asked that, but um, maybe Mitch means like business segment or maybe um, market. You can interpret that how you will. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's referring to us in particular or, or just the market as such, but obviously the market is going to grow at a massive rate. But our, our focus is on uh, developing markets mainly. We're, we're a, a company that helps smaller operators go online and um, and, and we would look to Latin America, um, uh, Africa, uh, developing markets as well as the US where there would be uh, smaller operators going online. We don't really focus on uh, on on the big end of town, but um, uh, we specialize in in helping people understand the online world and giving them the tools to operate online. And so that that's pretty much where our growth will come from, uh, organic growth. But but most of our growth is going to come from acquisition because we're going to roll up other profitable companies that are accretive to our business. Okay, this is the last question. I guess I'm, I'm going to have have to ask this for everybody I interview going forward. But uh, will you allow crypto? <laughs> it's it's a bit of a minefield. I mean, we help our we do help our, our operators, and and we it's not as if we are the ones that are accepting the crypto. We only provide the systems. They could use whatever they wanted: PayPal, Visa, Mastercard. It's up to them to get the licenses and the contracts to use that. We're quite capable of providing crypto. Um, so we, we have crypto systems that we can provide right now. Um, we I think we may support one uh, one operator with uh, with crypto, but I, I assume that in time to come, it, it's going to be much much more popular, um, and um, we'll continue to support it. All right, you can see his name up on the screen. Brian Goodman is the CEO <laughs> of Golden Matrix Group, GMGI, uh, Uplist. In progress, TBD. We'll find out when. Brian, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Well, thank thanks you, so and thanks for all today. your time and all your support, everybody, and right. uh, continue <laughs> uh, following us. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank Guys, you. smash the like for Brian Goodman, for Golden Matrix Group, for GMGI. We appreciate him stopping by. Uh, I, I had no idea there was such a, a passionate fan base for that company and that stock, but there is. Um, and, and look, I saw someone just asked, Richie just asked about the, the uplist when that is, I asked him, man, rewind the tape back 10 minutes. They don't know. They're at the mercy of the, of NASDAQ. Um, they don't know. So I assume when they know they will tell us, they will let, they will file a press release, SEC filing, they will announce it and then we'll all know together. But until then. I, and and even even if he does know, maybe maybe he just couldn't say. I I, I don't know. Um, 
That was fun, though. That was good. Let's give let's give Brendan Airhorn. That was good. All right, guys. That was the last interview of the day on Power Hour. This is the end of the OTC special. If you're just joining us, you missed five great interviews today. We had Brian Goodman from Golden Matrix. We had uh, Mark Pekin from Bespoke Growth Partners. We had Jay Hutton from Visibility, Frank Holmes from Hive Blockchain, and Bruce Linton from Red White Holland. Um, so rewind if you missed it. Smash the like for those guys. If you just joining and you're like, what happened to Luke? Where's Jason? The answer is uh, they are both locked in my basement and we'll be there until I say so. So, okay. Biotech buzz is coming up next. We had no biotech buzz last week with Vivi, but she is back from vacation and she's so excited. She's like, I know I usually come on at two 30, but today I want to come on at two because I'm super hyped. I got a lot to get to. So Biotech Buzz is going to be up next. This stream will end, and it'll just redirect straight to that as long as the producers didn't screw that one up. Producer Rahan, Producer AB, looking at you. Uh, But assuming they didn't screw it up, then the redirect will work straight from this to Biotech Buzz. So check that out. And uh, if you enjoyed – oh, Producer AB is here. What's going on, man? Yeah, it's all all set. Just wanted to say I I thought you did a great job. Those were some great interviews. And, um, it, it's, yeah. I, you know, I think I, I, everyone in the chat wants me to, to buy GMGI. I'm just all about, uh, Dow. I'm all about the Dow right now. Wait, look so, at this real quick though. Apple's what? down 420. I've never seen Apple get crushed this hard in a day. I don't think besides like a couple months ago when all tech was getting crushed, but, uh, maybe that, uh, that, that hearing ain't going so well, maybe, the hearing, <laughs> the hearing with riot, maybe it ain't going so well. I don't know. Oh my Lanta! Wait, 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 oh, Look, wait, wait. Check, 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 um, check like Amazon. Check the cues, because I'm not in front of like my charts right now. So, oh, uh, like, how how is Apple doing compared to those guys today? Is it, is it better or worse? Uh, a little worse, but Amazon's down three percent too. Okay, let's so let's go straight just, to so let's just go straight just, to QQQ. So it's not just Apple. Okay, and look at the cues, and then also while you're after that, look at ARKW. Or ARKK, which is like here. I'll, I'll do it on. We were we were looking at um. You want ARKK or ARKW? Yeah, ARKK is the 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 flagship. So that's down four percent. Man, tech is getting smashed. Wait, tech is getting smashed. I hope you all diversified. <laughs> are we seeing back? Let's check some oil. Let's check some. Uh, let's check gush. Wait, what are you What are you in right now? Oh, there we go. Uh, you're looking at gush. Yeah, gush. I mean, hey. it's not up, but it's doing better than tech. I hope you all own some other things, not just tech socks, because you're getting smacked in the face today. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Smash the like. We're not even at 100, or not. we're not even at 200 likes. Let's get to 200 likes before I'm done talking, all right? Benzinga Pro, pro.benzinga.com. Enter the code YouTube20 to get 20% off your subscription. Please, guys, subscribe. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think, if you love us. If you hate us, you can also tell us that. I, I won't be offended. I, mean, I want to know too. I want to know too. Email shows at benzinga.com if you yeah. loved, if you hated this special edition of Power Hour. Like Spencer mentioned, we might be doing some more special editions. We might never do another one again. We might um, not. This might be the first time. It last. might be. It might be a one and done thing. So if you yeah. if you if you if you tuned in, then then great. You were part of history. If not, <laughs> then uh, you know, let us know what you think, and and we'll and we'll, we'll take that feedback seriously. So. 
No, and, and you know, yeah, in all seriousness, we, we do take feedback to heart. If you email us, we we will respond and we will hear it. That's a that that's a fact. hundred so, okay. percent. All right. Uh, are, they, are they ready? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> if not, we're gonna end anyway, because Screw them! I'm hot. Wait, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, those these, lights. These, are, these lights are really hot. They are not so. live yet. It does not look like. So you They're know, I'll let you go. I'll let you take a break. I'm gonna keep going through a couple more tickers on this. No, uh, no, I'll, I'll hang with you. I'll hang with you. Right, well, I, was hang... Look, I was looking at Boeing because it's like, what if tech's getting crushed? What are some of these like value play? What's what's like a classic value play? Walmart, even Walmart's. Uh no, Walmart's got a pretty high P. Classic value play would be like utilities, like if you're going like low P, like XLU. Go to like XLI for industrials. I'll look at steel stocks. I mean, Maybe XLU's some... down uh, almost a full percent today too. I, maybe we're just seeing some general. Maybe everyone's just selling to get into Dogecoin before. Wait, wait. Andrew P says he'll buy me a bottle of Johnny Blue if I ever meet him in Vegas. Okay, <laughs> Andrew P, I will take you up on that offer. Um, next time I go to Vegas, which may very well be. In oh, well, speaking of Vegas, let's check. Like, well, let's check. Like. Um, Win casinos or win resorts. That's yeah, down see, three and a half see, percent. No, look, Globetrotter hears me. He's looking at U.S. Steel at five percent today. So, you know, I would go to industrials. Maybe go to the. I I, I have not looked, so I don't know. But oh, maybe wow. go to the banks. I have no idea what the banks are doing today. Um, utilities, um, material materials. Oh, bank. Yeah, Bank of America is doing well. Let's go to Citigroup. Yeah. Okay. Money doesn't leave. It just rotates. It just moves around. So this, the cyclical nature of markets. Wait, oh, this person's name is Jake Luco. I didn't know if that was like someone trying to make a joke of. No, I also name. thought that J- Jake Jake Lukovi, <laughs> Jake Lukovi, are, are you real? J- Jake Lukovi. That's gotta be like a, a tr- like a uh, someone just making fun of. What would Luke's I, I, name? I, I I don't think Jake Lukovi is real. I wish he was. Juke Lukovi. Yeah, maybe. Um. Okay. Wait, what else? Was, I, I'm going to my movers tool just to see what's up and what's down. Um, yeah, tech is getting pretty smashed. Hey, you guys saw my portfolio. I own some tech. I own ARKW. I own ESPO. Oh, Caterpillar's doing well. Oh, what about this? Uh, I said industrials. You don't listen. Um, what, Kansas City Southern, the uh, railroad. Ooh, dude, my, my, my watch list is literally all red today. Or my, not my watch, it's my portfolio. My portfolio is all red today. All red. And and I've got, you know, some pretty basic stuff. Like, like I, I got VU. I got VOO. I, I am I'm down across the board. Cannabis stocks, which have been on a bit of a run, are all getting smacked around. I own K-Web. That's down today. ESPO is down. UFO, the space ETF, that one's down. So wait, Spencer, um, you're, you're, you're the ETF guy. Is there a railroad ETF? I'm sure uh, there is, but not, off the top of your head, do you not know? Not a railroad specifically. There is an ETF that has the uh, largest holdings are the railroads. Um, I don't believe. Oh, rail. That's that no, was... that's not. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, it's a oh, it's got <laughs> rails down 10% today. What is that? That's like um, a snack or something. It looks like, um, like I, like you could go to like, What's the what's the transports? What's that? That's that's I is it IYT? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, IYT. I think that's there's a pretty decent portion of that uh, in in the railroads, but there's okay. no railroad specific ETF. Good to know. Let's see what's going on with biotech. Are they still not? Nope. Nothing. 
producer Rohan is maybe fired TBD. I don't know. <laughs> but in any case, uh, this stream was set to redirect, so I'm not really worried about it. So I, I'm going to hop. Producer AB, you, you've, you've been very helpful, except for when you haven't been, but that's okay. Um, thanks, everyone, for hanging out with me for the past two hours and change. Appreciate that. I will see you back on the stream for an, in an hour for the At The Close show, but I got to drink some water. Uh, yep. Prepare. That's a long, long episode. And, and sit Great down. job, though. And I want to sit, sit down. All right, guys, I'm going to hop. Producer ABR, are you going to end the stream or are you going to just keep yeah, going? Yeah, I think I think let's end it and let's All right. let's direct them to biotech. And 200 likes. Let's get there. Maybe we'll be there. Let's get there. Oh, and also PSA, we are preparing a special show for when we hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. I will not disclose those details yet, but they're in progress. All right, y'all. Well, like I said, thank you for joining us for our first uh, special edition of Power Hour. Might do more. And maybe Might last. Not. Who knows? I don't know. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc